I've watched people work their butts off for most of their life to have not much to show for it at the end. And frankly, that sucks. Listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today is an interesting episode all about wealth creation and the corollary wealth destruction through a business. Now, business owners generally enter into business with the idea of wealth creation and being able to create this wealth outcome for themselves and create stability and something they have control over and can grow. But what quite often happens is that the choices they make over time or the areas that they fail to focus on can cause massive issues along the way that leach their time and attention away from the business and that consequently really reduce the value of these business assets that they've created and therefore cast a real shadow over this whole concept about business as a wealth creator for them. In this podcast, Talking Law, I've devoted most of my episodes to helping business owners work out what those landmines are and those risks along the way that can take their time away from growing their business. Because my main aim is to help businesses focus on the key assets in their business and how to protect the value of their key assets in the business. So when they get to that ultimate payday, it becomes the deal of their life rather than the business they can't sell or can't sell for the price they want. But tied up in all of this is that ultimate concept of wealth creation. And it's probably something that we just don't talk about enough in the areas that we discuss because I do feel that wealth creation is really integrally linked to why people are in business in the first place. And sometimes the issue with that dream at the end of that business period. So today we have on the program John Di Natale from the company EquiWealth. And EquiWealth is a business that's focused all around wealth creation for individuals as well as for business owners. And the reason that we have John on today is because you always hear me talking about risk that can kill the value of a business and kill the value of that ultimate asset as a wealth creation strategy. And I just want to have a discussion today about the examples where John has seen this happen, but also from a more detached wealth creation perspective, what business owners can be focusing on to build that wealth vehicle as well as that business vehicle. So we're looking at wealth creation as a whole for business owners here in today's episode. So John, I just wanted to say welcome onto the show today. Thank you very much, Joan. Lovely to be here. So we've got a lot of debt, uh, those areas that I'd really like to cover today. It's such an important topic. It's about the whole point in many ways of business owners going into business. So maybe before we get into some of those meaty areas, maybe if we can step back just quickly and if you can tell us just a little bit about your background perhaps and sort of what has brought you to where you are today. 
Yeah, sure, happy to. And look, your introduction really rings true with me because I've spent many, many years working with small business owners in particular, helping them grow their business and coaching, advising businesses from a number of different perspectives. And the things that you've talked about in your introduction, I've seen happen time and time again. And business owners tend to make very similar mistakes in these areas and tend to into many of the same trap. I'm in the wealth creation area now, but that stems from, you know, 20 plus years of work with business owners. And I guess the reason I've come to be where I am is because I watched many, many business owners work very hard for a very long time, only to get to the end of that journey and realize that their business was not the ticket to financial freedom that they thought it might be, that they were not in a position to sell their business for $5 million and then go and retire somewhere happily ever after. A lot happens in over the course of 5, 10 or 20 years that will change that situation for business owners. So that's the journey that brought me to wealth creation because I started bringing in advisors to talk to the business owner clients I had to say, you need another strategy here. The business is not your only vehicle to wealth creation and should not be your only vehicle to wealth creation. That was the sort of evolution for me was to say, okay, well, what else can we bring to the table for these people that will actually help them create sustainable wealth that doesn't depend on them working 24-7 in their business? So that's been my journey and that's how I come to be at Equi Wealth and doing the things that we're now doing. When you said you've seen that business owners make similar mistakes and you've seen many examples of coming to this point of exit and the disappointment that business owners then face at that point when they suddenly realise, I want this for my business, but it's not really worth anything in the market or certainly not what I want it to. Can you think of any sort of examples that sort of stick out to you of people who've gone through that process and what that meant for them, the issues that that created? Yeah, I've lived through that on a personal front. I mean, you know, my parents and the people of that generation were generally very hardworking, worked very hard to kind of establish themselves with their businesses. They didn't have a view to long-term strategy for investing. They didn't have a view for tax minimization. They didn't have a view for asset action. They didn't have a view for risk management. So none of those things really featured. The philosophy was work hard, make some money. And in all fairness, they did work hard. They did live a pretty decent lifestyle. But many of them came to the end of that journey and went, well, fundamentally, I have a business which is not worth much in the market as it turns out. And maybe I have a house, which is a nice house, but that's not going to feed me or create an income for me for the next 20 years of my retirement. So that was my first introduction, I guess, to that whole dilemma that people face in, in small business. In more recent times, I worked with a franchising organization in the optometry area, and we were talking to independent optometrists about joining a franchise system. And many of those people I spoke to were in their mid to late 50s or maybe getting towards 60 and had been in their business for many, many years. And they were like, oh, no, no, I've had my business for a long time. And when I choose to retire, I'm going to sell my business to somebody for X dollars, you know, whatever that, whatever number they had in their, in their mind at that stage. And what they probably didn't realize was that the world has moved on substantially from the last few years. The, the world changes fast. It wasn't the same environment. So if you have an independent optometrist on the corner asking a million dollars for their business and a, a new optometrist can set up a franchise business next door for that amount with better marketing, better buying power, much better market presence and all those things, why would they go and pay a premium for an established business? That was not going to happen for them. And unfortunately, many of those people, I think, will come to the end of that journey and realise that their business is not the ticket to the lifestyle they were hoping to live in retirement. So I've seen it many times and it's a very common trap. And I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we love our businesses and we're very kind of invested in our businesses, not just financially, but also emotionally. I think we often don't take a good hard look at the realities of what we're building and what the asset value in the business really is 
owners because often the asset value in the business is the business owner. They have the relationships, they have the expertise, they have the skills or whatever the case may be. And taking them out of the picture means that the business in and of itself doesn't have the asset value they thought it would have. Mm. These, these are the things that I've seen many people kind of grapple with over the years. And as well as that of bringing in advisors to say, let's have an alternate strategy. Let's have two or three other things that we're doing that will supplement the business and create multiple streams of income that will give us better tax effectiveness, that will enable us at some point to go, you know what, I don't want to work quite as hard as I have been for the last 20 years, but I don't want to sacrifice my lifestyle as a result of slowing down or working less. That's the ultimate dream really, isn't it? You know. So one of the things that I see business owners go through is particularly when they're in high growth phase, usually something will happen in the business if the infrastructure, the foundations of the business haven't grown at the same speed that the business has grown, which is quite a usual thing. You know, these business owners are just like pouring their heart and soul into this business. Something goes wrong. There's a fire in the business somewhere or there's multiple fires. It's usually what happens. And then they get exhausted and then they go, oh, I'm just done. I want out. And then they start to look at, well, what does out look like? What does exit look like? And then they have the realization, actually, they've been building something that has got no real saleable value, which is all tied up in the exact reason that they're worn out as well, right? It's all interlinked together. But at that time, it's that critical point of they either find a way to make it work and do something differently, or they just cut it and they move on to the next thing. And I guess sometimes this is where we see the serial entrepreneur, they go start up something new and then they create the same thing over and over again, though, that same issue reoccurs. But one of the things that I find tricky is how we get business owners. And I think one of the things you're sort of talking about here about this concept of building wealth alongside business so that you're not solely dependent on the business for your wealth, it can do a number of things in that particular example that I'm painting, which is such a common part of the life cycle of a business that I see. Having that wealth on the side, I believe allows business owners to at that point when they're exhausted, take a step back without their finances being so tied to the business, take a step away from a bit, take a breath and then be able to reinvent themselves and and become that business that reinvents itself and continues on rather than that business where they walk away and for almost nothing quite often and or or for something but certainly not what they're expecting and move on to the same thing and recreate it again. What's your thoughts about that and how we can prevent it? I think there's a couple of things in there. The first is that when you are fighting fires in your business and you are exhausted, that's probably the worst time to be thinking about making your exit. It's not when you want to be thinking about how do I, at that point, you're not thinking about have I maximized the asset value of my business? Have I positioned it well for sale? Have I created availability? Have I, is it able to be replicated and grown? You're not thinking about those things when you're in that firefighting struggle mode, right? So I think that's the wrong time to be planning your exit. As you correctly say, that's when most people kind of reach that point and have to make a decision. And that's often why it doesn't go the way they, they want it to. So I, I think as business owners, what we often don't do is think about how do I make my business attractive to a potential investor or potential buyer? If the business depends on me entirely, then it's not very attractive because if I leave, mm. then the business kind of walks with me. So that's number one problem. You mentioned systems and infrastructure and all of those things. That any, any growing business struggles with that because there's never enough time or focus or cash to do all the things you have to do as you grow. You tend to leave those things behind. The trick is 
as you reach a point where you've started to grow and you, the cash comes in, you've got to go and backfill those things. You've got to go back and go, right, now we can take some time and we have some extra resources to go back and look at our processes, the way we manage our, our client engagement process, the way we market, the way we deliver goods, whatever it happens to be in your business. And you go and backfill those parts of the business and make sure you've got those systems in place for the next stage of growth. And then asset value in the business, that's not something people think about. The way I look at businesses is a business is designed to generate cash flow and profit, basically. And the business may be a good investment in and of itself, but it may not be. But if it generates cash and profit, I can then use that cash to go and invest in other things that will create wealth. So for me, the business is a feeder of the process of building wealth. If the business itself becomes an asset that has intrinsic value and can be sold at a multiple, whatever the case is, that's fantastic. And clearly, we should be focused on that as well. But it's not always the case. Some businesses, particularly with small businesses that are just so dependent upon a particular niche or expertise or skill set that it makes it difficult then to kind of create that sale ability. I worked for many years in a franchising environment. And what we're always looking at there is, you know, how do we replicate this business? How do we create systems and processes and structures that enable the business to be replicated, enable the business to be run by people who are not necessarily as good at everything as I am, take a business and because it's well-structured, well-marketed, well-organized, you know, all of those things in the background, they can run the business, they can be the face of the business. And I can therefore replicate that business in multiple locations around the world in some cases and build a much, much bigger asset. So these are things that business owners don't think about very much when you're on the hamster wheel of running a business because it's busy. <laughs> you don't really get time to consider some of these things. Yeah. This reminds me of an interesting conversation that I was having with someone just a couple of weeks ago who went from a one-man band business and has built it into maybe a few hundred employees now and a really, really strong business, but he doesn't work in the business anymore and, you know, sort of only turns up a day or two a month when he feels like it. We were having this discussion about concept because I have very similar views, you, John, in relation to this concept of a business being able to fund your investment in assets that you're building alongside the business. And, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I like diversification of risk. You know, quite seriously, that's an element of it as well, right? Diversification, lest anything should happen to the business. But it was interesting in this discussion that I was having, this business owner was saying, yeah, look, but my perspective is my money is worth, you know, I get a 25% return because their business operates on a 25% profit margin. So I get a 25% return on the money I leave in the business, but I take it out, put it in shares or property or whatever. And really I'm going to get about an average of about 10%, let's say, unless I'm taking a whole heap of risk, but let's just say in sort of a, a balanced environment. That left me to really pondering this as an issue because as I said, from the one perspective, my general viewpoint is this diversification. I like the idea that you build wealth outside of your primary business vehicle whilst you're also building the value of the primary business vehicle at exit. So the dual strategy. But it was an interesting point that he made. And, and I've certainly heard a lot of people before say you make true wealth out of a business rather than the investments you might have on the side, like shares and property. I'd be really interested in your viewpoints on that, I guess, dichotomy. 
<laughs> I think many people who consider that they have a business in many respects don't have a business. So the way I define a business, if, if I can leave my business for a month and go and drink wine in the south of France and nothing changes in the business, it continues to make money, it continues to do all the things it has to do, it services its clients and does everything it's supposed to do, then I kind of have a business. If I leave the business for a month and the whole thing grinds to a halt and falls apart, then really what I have is perhaps a kind of well-paying job. So I think this concept of business ownership and small business and entrepreneurship have become prevalent in the last 10 years, but there are many businesses out there that I wouldn't really classify as a business. When we're talking about the average SME, I think, honestly, there's a very small percentage of them that are at the, I can leave and go and spend six months in the wine district of France and it won't impact the business, right? It's interesting. As entrepreneurs, we're risk takers. We kind of have this natural tendency for risk or to tolerate risk. So so most business owners kind of go, well, you know, whatever life throws at me, whatever the business throws at me, I'll, I'll cope. And as a result, we don't plan for things like, what if I can't work for a month? What happens to the business then? What if the market changes and global competitors come in and my business disappears altogether? Do you remember a business called Kodak? The Kodak was a massive global business, right? And, and then this thing called the digital camera turned up and mobile phones with cameras. And Kodak was not a business that was poorly run, okay? It had become a global empire, basically, but it, the world moved on, just kind of failed to adapt and all that disappeared. So I think these are the risks that are inherent in business that we probably don't think about when we're in the SME growth phase. The way I look at it is, as I said earlier, I think a business can be an asset and I think we should definitely think of it as an asset, that we're building asset value in and we're positioning it for sale at some point where we can actually get the benefit of having grown it. That's fantastic. But I wouldn't want to just have all my eggs in that basket. I want to use the cash and the income that the business generates to then go and invest in other asset classes that I know will not require me to work on them 24-7 because they're investments that I can basically just let them sit there and do their thing. And I want to take advantage of capital growth. I want to take advantage of cash flow. I want to take advantage of tax benefits. You won't get the tax benefits of investing in your business in the same way you'll get from the tax benefits putting reasonable amounts of money into superannuation investing within your super, for instance. You won't get the tax benefits of investing in whatever, property and shares and depreciation benefits, all those things that you get from other investments that you simply can't get to the same extent, perhaps, in, in your business. These are the things that I think people need to be very conscious of and need to be thinking about. What's my big picture plan? You know, And where does the business fit in that big picture plan is, is a really key question to be asking yourself. I think that's such an important point, just having that thought process of what is the big picture plan? Where does my business sit in it? And what else sits outside of it? <laughs> where do I need to be at the end of the day? Where am I aiming for? And what does my business and my investments outside of it need to be doing to get there? And it seems obvious, doesn't it? But I think very few people do that. Is that your perception? It's actually really surprising to me, Joanna. When, when I came into this area, this when I sort of moved to this financial services area, I was really surprised how little people know about their financial circumstances. And it's a really weird thing to say to somebody. I would say to people, look, the first thing we'll do is we'll actually work out where you are now. They'd say, well, surely I know where I am now. And you go, okay, cool. Tell me about your current tax position. What are you paying in terms of tax? What are you paying in terms of this? What are you doing with superannuation? How's it in Invested, where's it invested? What returns are you getting? You start asking a few questions, they very quickly realize they don't actually know much about the situation at all. And they haven't taken the time to step back and have a really good look at everything, all the different moving parts of this thing we call our finances to go, cool, I'm going to attack all these areas and make sure that everything's lined up the way it should be. So the first thing is we don't know kind of where we're at. And that's really interesting. Secondly, most people don't have a plan. There's a story going around that you know, most people spend more time planning their last holiday to Bali than they spent planning their entire financial future. <laughs> I love that. That's probably true. <laughs> 
you know, most people haven't sat down and gone, what is my plan for my finances? What is my plan for saving? What's my plan for investing? What's my plan for retirement? What's my plan? You know, we just don't have that mindset or most people don't have that mindset to actually sit down and really map all that out and get clear on what that is. And the thing is, it's different for everybody. You know, I, I can say, oh, you should do this or you should do that. What you want out of your financial plan and your financial situation is entirely individual. It's going to be what you want. So some people want to have millions in the bank when they retire. Some go, if I've got a little place down here and I'm comfortable and I can fish in the river, I'm happy. Whatever works for you is fine. But if you don't have a plan in place to achieve that, it's probably unlikely that you will. And unfortunately, if you look at where statistically most people in Australia end up at retirement, it's not a very pretty picture. A large proportion of the population here still retire pretty much dependent upon the pension for their financial well-being. I would say that's, to put it mildly, a less than ideal situation. Yeah. So you've sort of touched, I guess, already on the sorts of things that you recommend for business owners when you started talking about, well, step back and work out what you want and then put a plan in place to get there. Do you have any other hot tip for business owners in terms of wealth creation in and outside of the business? I mean, look, I'm sure you spend a lot of your time talking about risks to business and things that can derail the process. And there are plenty of those and there's you know, cash flow risk and there's client risk and team risk and, and all of those things. So leaving all the risk elements aside, assuming we have those under control. I think from the business perspective, it's the things we were talking about earlier. How do I get this business to a point where it effectively becomes almost self-driving, if that makes sense? So I have processes and systems and people in, in place to actually drive the business forward constantly and to be able to innovate and create new ideas and adapt and make sure that we keep up with all the things that are changing in the world. From a wealth creation perspective, business owners typically are really good at neglecting superannuation. I think that is 100% correct. Super is one of those things that's really easy to ignore. Yeah. People go, oh, well, I can't touch it until I retire, so I don't care about it. You know, it's another 20 years. I don't really want to think about it right now. And you go, well, okay, cool. I get that. But superannuation as a vehicle is one of the most tax-effective structures we have in this country for creating long-term wealth. The tax treatment of assets in superannuation is very different to the tax treatment of assets in our, in our individual name or even in the company name. So neglecting that area is almost kind of fraught with danger, I guess, in some respects. So I like to get people to think about that as a long-term strategy and say, what am I doing in relation to that? And how does that then affect where I'll end up financially when I get to the point where I don't want to be working at all, or certainly not as hard as I am now? And then investment and leverage are the other key areas that you really need to be thinking about. So it's all very well to have everything, in the, all the eggs in the business basket, but then what else are we investing in? How are we creating leverage? How are we sort of broadening the asset base that we're getting a return on so we can actually create some real wealth down the track? For example, of that from on the leveraging side? I mean, look, there are assets that we can leverage better than others. Going out and leveraging, well, super is one asset if we want to talk about leverage within superannuation. So some years ago, the possibility of setting up a self-managed super fund came into being. Many people have successfully used that vehicle to then go and get leverage. So rather than just have $300,000 in your super earning a percentage return, you can go and leverage that, invest in other assets, and you can then have exposure of, say, $500,000 to the market. So you're going to build your returns based on exposure to the market. Yes, of course, there are some debt costs and, and all those things to take into account. We have to manage it carefully. But overall, you'll have better exposure. You're using leverage to build that exposure and you'll get a better return in total over the period. So that's one area where we can do that. When we go and borrow and we go and utilize well-structured leverage to go and buy assets such as property or share portfolios, whatever the case may be, again, we're increasing our exposure to the market in a positive sense. And that means we can start to reap the rewards of growth on a much bigger asset base than we otherwise can if we just use our own cash. 
cash. But that's the sort of leverage that we want to look at. I mean, obviously, there are many provisos in terms of being well positioned to be able to do that, managing the risk of having additional debt. There are many other things to consider. But if we're not looking at those things carefully, then we're going to miss those opportunities. Yeah, I think that's a, such a good point. And so, so let's say we have a business owner who comes in. I don't know if they're a classic example of someone that you might see or not, but someone who has been building their business so for, let's say, three to five years, a fair period of time, and they've not really thought at all about this investment outside of the business. It may even be longer because they've been pouring profits back in, which is something I see. Is that something you see quite often? Absolutely. A classic example. So let's say they're in that position, quite often not a particularly healthy super balance because they haven't really been contributing much and certainly not more than they're paying themselves salary. Well, they're obviously paying the super payments they have to, but they're generally not putting a lot in outside of that. What is the process that you work them through from that point onwards? Obviously, it's very wide and varied depending on the individual circumstances of the business owner. But if you take a typical situation as you've described, most people do exactly that. They plough whatever money they have back into their business and they want to try to sort of grow the business that way, which is totally understandable. What I try and encourage people to do is to say, okay, well, where you are now, what can we set aside out of the business? You know, Can we maximise our contributions to super for the long term? That would be step number one. At the moment, you can make a concessional contribution of $25,000 a year to super. Where possible, where the cash flow allows, we should be doing that as at least a minimum starting point. And then what cash flow or what resources can we start to redirect from the business and start to put them aside to build? Often it's a case of just building a bit of a war chest. You know, you just have to go, well, okay, we're just going to save and we're going to put some dollars aside so that at some point we can invest in a share portfolio. And then we might start to look at some managed funds. Then we might look at maybe a property or something down the track. So it may be a, a relatively small starting point. And at least that way we get them thinking about how am I building other investments, other asset, how do I create other asset bases and how am I generating income and other benefits such as tax benefits from those assets. So it generally starts there. If, if someone's been in business three to five years, that's generally where they would be. Oftentimes people have been, I, I literally had a meeting this morning with a business owner who's been in business for 18 years and he's in exactly the same situation that we've just described. So he's invested all of his money back into the business and the business does well, but it's highly volatile. So he's dependent on kind of natural disasters, okay? So he does flood restoration type work. You know, he prays for thunderstorms every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's where his work comes right. from. Right, okay, unusual. But as a result, his his revenue is it's unpredictable. And as a result, he hasn't had a consistent program of putting money aside to invest in things. He's gone, when I've got the money, I do this. When I don't, well, I don't. All right, what if we can smooth that out a little bit and start to create some strategies that are a little more consistent that will set you up to be in a better position five or 10 years from now. These are the things that, that people can do to really start to spread the opportunity that they're creating for themselves and build some really substantial asset bases and cash flow situations outside the business. And it's interesting when you talk about taking a bit of money away and putting it into super or having a plan to just start doing something. I think sometimes people look at this and they go, well, if I, you know, that amount that I was going to do now, what difference will it really make? You know, maybe in five years time when, you know, I've got these plans, I'm going to be earning a mozza, I'm going to do it then because then I'll have loads of money spare. But I just... I've been guilty of that at times over the years. I think we all... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
I guess just looking at your example of the person you saw this morning or yesterday, and they've been in business for 18 years, the reality is if at that year three to five period, they had have had that thought process and then started putting a little bit away then, like that, you know, we're now 12 years later than when they would have been at that three to five year process and they would be in a very different situation now, right? It makes a massive difference. And there are a million reasons to delay doing things. You know, I, I see it all the time in people's journey through life. It's like, well, we'll, we'll wait till we get married and then we'll start thinking about it. and buy a house and then we'll sort of think, well, we'll wait till we have children, we'll wait till the kids finish school, then we'll wait till they move out. And then you go, oh, you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, actually, I'm 57. I think it's really easy to kind of just put these things off over time. Fundamentally, we all understand the, the power of compounding, right? So if we start small and we allow time to have its effect, it, it does make a massive difference. There are plenty of examples around of, you know, if I invest $100 20 years ago, you know, and I start 15 years later, I have to invest a massive amount to be in the same position, those sorts of conditions a kind of bit of an eye-opener because you realise the power of time and compounding that has actually created the, the result. I think we all fundamentally understand that, but it's not front of mind enough to spur us into action sometimes. Mm. The key is to understand that most people overestimate what they can do in a short period and vastly underestimate what they can do in a long period of time. Mm. So time works in your favour when you're investing and you're growing your portfolio of assets. Time definitely works in your favour and it allows your, your assets to grow in value. It allows them to generate cash and, and profit and you can compound that over, over 10 or 15 or 20 years. That's very different to try and do it all in five. I've sat down many times with people in their 50s or late 50s and they've kind of gone, well, you know, we haven't really done much and it's probably time to really get our act together. And I go, cool, but you realise we've now only got maybe seven to 10 years to work with as opposed to 20. And as a result, we're going to have to either settle for a lesser outcome or contribute much more to the exercise and work much harder to create the outcome we would have otherwise created if we'd started five or 10 years ago. You know, I was asked recently what I would do differently if I could go back and change things. And my answer is pretty simple. It's like I would start much earlier. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's so true. I'd take all the stuff I know now and I'd start doing it 30 years ago and you'd be pretty, you know, it'd be a much better situation. So, yeah, I would have bought a lot of property when I was 10. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's, it's easy to delay these things. I know it's cliche, but the best time to start is now. Can't fix what happened 10 years ago, but at least you can do something now about it and, and you can make the most of the next 10 years. We'll get on it now, I guess. That's the point, right? Yeah. Start where you are, right? Because that's the other thing. I mean, we've just launched a product for first home buyers, for instance, because they find it so hard to save a deposit. And people go, well, I'll wait till I've got kind of $25,000 before I really start thinking about saving something. I'm like, no, no, you start now. I mean, there's the small things that you can do now will, will make a difference. So it's a thing that we are aware of. We know it. When someone says it to us, we're like, yeah, 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 well, I know that. And yet, for some reason, we don't really act upon it as often as we should. Mm. So stop saying next year or five years later, when the business is making a ton of extra cash. The point is, start now, even if it starts small, start something now. The problem is in five years from now, the business might not be making an extra ton of cash. Yeah. Sadly, that is the reality. For five years, you might be in exactly the same situation you're in now. You might have at least been able to get a bit of a, a bit of momentum, you know, in that time. Obviously, we hope the business makes a truckload of cash in five years, and that's great, and we'll be able to ramp things up at that point. We should have our systems in place, we should have our structures in place, we should know what the plan is. It's easy to double your contributions to something when the business starts making money. That's easy. But to start thinking about it at that point is probably not the wisest move. And if you don't get to the point where the business is making truckloads of money, well, then at least you've got a process in place that you can build on over the next few years. Yeah, I know it's cliche, but yeah, get on it. Well, on that note, I just want to say a massive thank you, John 
for coming on the program today. I think we've covered some really fundamentally valuable insights and information here. Something that I'm really passionate about because I just love nothing more than to see an owner get to the exit point of their business and for it just all to go to plan. But there are so many instances when that doesn't happen and I just see the power of diversification as well as the power of understanding what creates value at exit. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for the uh, opportunity to come and have a chat. It's been great fun. So thank you. Brilliant. And look, John, if people want to reach you, how do they go about doing that? They can jump on our website, which is equiwealth.com.au. So equi-e-q-u-i, wealth.com.au. Or if they want to connect with me directly, John Dinatali on LinkedIn is probably the best spot. Excellent. Now, I know you, the listener, are probably running along the beach, you lucky person right now. Maybe you're uh, stuck in traffic on your way to or from work. Either way, you probably don't have a pen at the moment. Fear not. Just head over to our show notes and you'll be able to link right through to EquiWealth or to John's social media handles that he'll provide us with and you can connect right through to him. And if you would also like to read all of about John's perspective on being wealthy and free, also check him out in the latest issue of The Secrets of Business Experts Exposed, and we'll tell you all about that in a moment. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law, where we talked all about the concept of wealth creation outside of your business and inside of your business, as well as our usual topics of building wealth in the value of your business. Today, we were talking to John D. Natale, and I think we covered some really important issues. And if you want to get in contact with him, as we said in the episode, just head over to our show notes and you'll find how to find him over at his business Equi Wealth. And if you'd like more information on this topic, then head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au where we have a transcript of this episode, links through to John and lots of other fabulous information about how you can contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you'd like any assistance with building the legal foundations of your business in order to secure that sale value at exit. This has also been the first in a special series that we are running right now where we chat to my fellow co-authors from the book Secrets of Business Experts Exposed. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into some of the most important business tips and strategies that we cover in this book, The Secrets of Business Experts Exposed, that's great. Just get in touch with us by sending us an email at inquiries at aspectlegal.com.au and we'll send you a complimentary copy of the book. Whoever said nothing comes free certainly hasn't met us here at Aspect Legal. <laughs> well, that's it. If you enjoyed what you heard today, um, I'd love it if you could possibly pop over to iTunes and leave us a review and hit subscribe, of course, if you aren't a current subscriber. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,
Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au. Thank you.